0: the media says so, <laughs> it's a super Tuesday because he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and he's not pacing, campaigning, he is seated upon his throne. Good morning to you. I hope you're Tuesday is super. It will be beneath the grace of God alone. The grace of God. Let's talk about grace for a moment or two or 50. A garden left to itself. Of course, if you know, if you have a garden, you know what I'm about to say. Uh, By itself, My front yard, by itself, your garden, will produce weeds, right? From the curse, right? Because of the curse, now it has to be cultivated and tended. This past Saturday, I spent a lot of hours doing just that. But I'm grateful that I even could, so there's that as well. so too with grace no it's not a weed but the flow of the world as you already know is negative so you have to go against the flow of this world the natural progression or i should say digression of the world we live in. You have to go against it and you do this through grace. Now, what is grace? We don't need to redefine grace. I don't need to reinvent the wheel. Do I really know more than vines or strong or thayer? So to be modern, we can call grace God's empowerment, etc., etc., but it will still and always be undeserved favor. You can't get away from that beautiful definition of grace, undeserved favor. Think about that for a moment. Is that really sunk into your heart this morning yet? Undeserved favor. Yet as Christians, uh, and I'm guilty, we, we we say that, we give it lip service. But do we really believe it? Undeserved favor. No, we think, well, I want God's grace. So I'm going to go to church or read my Bible or not watch TV or be a good guy. All right. God will bless those things, but that's not undeserved favor so you're saying Pete that I should watch TV and not read my Bible no I'm just saying read your bible and really get what grace really is see favor huh favor it can be unearned and undeserved or it's not favor is it It can be, otherwise it can be a repayment, it can be a reward, but it cannot be favor. Here's what I want to share with you that I hope makes your morning, because we're talking about grace, God's grace. There are two conditions for favor, only two, in my opinion. You cannot labor to earn favor or it is no longer favor. So the words grace and favor are interchangeable. Really, charis, as you know, in the Greek is the word for grace. And once you try to earn unmerited favor, then you cannot have it, can you? So the Lord is right now. Calming me down, you too, by reminding us the one who is straining will not walk in favor. So the two conditions, the first condition is positive. And the second is negative. Let me get to it. The first condition of grace or favor to receive favor. You ready for this? Rest. This is how Jesus increased in favor. Jesus had no sin. But the Bible says where sin abounds, favor abounds more. Look at Jesus. So it's true what the Bible says where sin abounds, favor abounds more. But did Jesus have sin? No. Yet how did favor abound in his life? It obviously did. You'll agree with me on that. So it's not when I sin that favor abounds. If favor is unearned and undeserved, it simply means when I rest, favor abounds. Not not just saying... I only get favor when I sin. No, I get favor when I rest. Look at, let's look at a guy named rest, Noah. Let's look at the first mention of favor or grace in the Bible. Noah, the first mention. His name, very name means rest. Look at what rest does. It keeps favor, not laboring, not trying to earn or merit. It's just resting in the example of Noah. Not lazy. Was Noah lazy? Nope. Nothing could be further from the truth, but he rested in the spirit. And even though he was resting in the spirit, right? He found favor with God, right? Right? No one was more active in the Bible than Noah in all of the Bible. I don't think other than Jesus. So you learn to rest. Even while you're working, you learn to rest. Even while you're at your job, you learn to rest. Raising your kids, you learn to rest. Attending school, you learn to rest. Because the Bible says God's favor comes not to the one who works, but believes Romans four verse four. The more your are li- get this. I hope this relaxes you. The more your life is full of rest, the more favor you will walk in. Because when you're resting, you're not earning, you're not qualifying, you're laboring, not laboring, but you're receiving when it comes to God that's amazing. Thank you, God, that you're a God of grace. Thank you, God, that it's not about how much I earn or qualify or labor. It just goes to show God that you are glorious and worthy of praise, that you are a gracious God. So any good thing that comes into my life, oh God, is to the praise of your name alone. So the first condition for favor is positive means to rest. Relax. Even if you're busy, relax. <laughs> the second condition, it's a it's negative. Most of us fall under this one. Because well, life generally is mostly negative apart from grace and we have to go against this and that is when the moment that you fall or fail you're going up against giants in the land as it were and you don't feel like you can measure up We have to go against this and call the giants bread. We need to live in this realm where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. See, the first condition is rest. The second condition, and this is the one that most of us fall under, is that is when you fail. When you sin. This is when God does you a favor. See, we're talking about favor. Remember that. The first condition, when I'm blessed, as I rest, that's favor, right? The second condition, when I'm blessed, when I'm messed, (laughs) that's favor, right? So it's when you rest and it's when you're messed, as it were. Where sin abounds, grace abounds more. So when you sin, when you fail, when you fall, that is when you are, right, by its very definition, the most deserving candidate for grace, for favor. For at that moment, when you sin, when I sin, you are the least deserving of God's blessing, right? Right? But at that moment, would you not feel God's love? Give God glory. If he blesses you when you're least deserving, yes, you will. Because you know it's him and not you. And so the devil tries to mix all of this up, doesn't he? Even amongst us Christians, All right, I know I was saved by grace, but now I'm blessed because I got my act together. Not at Applegate Christian Fellowship right now, but growing up, I sensed there was a lot of people, not going to mention names. There were some people that had that attitude. I'm saved by grace, but now I'm blessed as I get my act together (laughs) and so Paul has to address this because that creeps into all of our thinking yours mine anyone's that I'm saved by grace but now I'm blessed because I got my act together And he writes in Romans chapter 6, What shall we say then? Should we sin so grace may abound? God forbid! Wait a minute. Those who were saying what I just stated were accusing Paul, were writing about Paul, the Pharisees of the church, so to speak, were accusing Paul of saying, You're just saying let's sin as much as we want. You're not agreeing with us that we're saved by grace, but now I'm blessed because I got my thing together, my act together, my good works together. And Paul has to address that and say, what? Nonsense. In fact, the couple of verses before, Paul says the law was given so that the offense may abound. So the law was given to... That our sin would abound in other words to reveal to highlight to show our sin and our need for God's grace through Jesus Christ not many you won't hear this very many places you might not even agree with me that's fine you can be wrong that's fine but God gave the 10 commandments so that sin will increase Absolutely. According to the words of the Apostle Paul, God gave the Ten Commandments to reveal sin because Paul, as Paul says in Romans over and over, without the law, without the Ten Commandments, there is not the revelation of sin. But where there is the law, sin is revealed and sin abounds. I'm not saying God only gave the Ten Commandments so that sin will increase. No. If you follow, if you love, if you admire the Ten Commandments, you will be blessed. However, what happened as soon as Paul, not Paul, mixed it up. Moses received the Ten Commandments. The moment he received them, they were breaking them, were they not? Almost all ten of them dancing naked around the golden calf, breaking commandment one, two, three, four, five, so on and so forth. Because they were demanding the law, they got the law, and as soon as they got the law, they were breaking the law. Too often, get this, this is, this is, this is my thought, and I want you to consider this. <clears throat> we assume that the law was given to guide us in life. And although it can and does, first and foremost, the law was given to show us that we need grace. The law is like a mirror, right? If you, if I look in the mirror and I see ugly, <laughs> I don't blame the mirror. It just shows me what there is. I can punch the mirror and break it. Or maybe I don't even have to punch it and the mirror breaks. I don't know. It's not the mirror's fault. There's nothing wrong with the mirror. It's me. It's whatever, whatever I want to do with that, it's still me. Now, there's nothing wrong with the law. But God wants to show there's something wrong with me, with you. Now, here's the good news. We emphasize sin as though it is the greatest thing too often. But where sin abounds, grace is greater than sin. I'm preaching the message of the gospel this morning, and I hope you're blessed by being reminded that where sin abounds, grace abounds even more the law is not faith law and faith do not mix they're like oil and water because the law is the system of earning and deserving but favor is giving us what we do not deserve hence the term favor Everyone that Jesus said, You are well to, to the, every person Jesus said, You are well, they were sinners, but their faith was operating. <laughs>
1: And Lord, that we are weak, We're so very weak, but you are strong. And though we've nothing, Lord, to lay at your feet, we come to your feet and say, Help us alone. Oh confession, Lord, that we are weak, so very weak, but you are strong, and though we've nothing more to lay at your feet, we come to your feet and say, help us alone. A contrite spirit, you have yet to deny. Your heart of mercy beats with love, a love career Let the river flow, God, by Your Spirit now. Lord, we cry Let Your mercies flow from ever. Sweet mercies flow from ever. Shower them down, Lord, as we pray. Let your mercies fall from heaven. Sweet mercies flow from heaven. New mercies for today. day. Shower. confession, Lord, that we are weak, we're so very weak, but you are strong, and though we have nothing, Lord, to lay at your feet, we come to your feet and say, help us, Lord, Broken heart and a contrite spirit, you have yet to deny. And your heart of mercy beats with a love strong current. Let the river flow, God, by your spirit now. Lord, we cry, let your mercies fall from heaven. Sweet mercies flow from heaven. New mercies for the day. Shower them down, Lord, as we pray. Let your mercies fall from heaven. Sweet mercies flow from heaven. Send your rain on everyone. You said if free.
0: Welcome back to Rogue Grace here at the Applegate Christian Fellowship. And, you know, um, the thing about the grace of God, well, if someone accuses you, reminding you of your past, bringing up your weakness, think about this example I'm going to give, all right? Not saying you should agree with it necessarily, but at least think about it. And that would be, I, I know of a, a preacher who was, when he was a young Christian or a young man, uh, even as um, a Christian, he was a young Christian and a younger man, and um, he lived with a married woman. Not one that he was married to. She was married to someone else. He lived with her. He's a preacher. Later on. But at that time he was living with her. Then he repented of that. He, She was divorced by then. And he married her. Sometime later. So he preaches, right? Year after year. And... Sometime later, someone said, I know what you did. I know where you've come from. And this guy said to that person, that never happened. Wow. Just wow. What do you think about that? Here this minister of the Bible, of the gospel, said to someone who was accusing him rightfully of what he had done as a younger man. They said, I know where you were. I know what you've done. And he says that never happened. Think about that. I'm not agreeing with that. I'm not. Neither am I blasting that, I'm bringing that up for thought. And that is what it means to be justified through the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. It means that never happened. It doesn't mean that we take on the mentality so I can do whatever I want because we realize the Bible teaches the New Testament is obviously always reminding us don't commit fornication or adultery. Don't lie or steal. Don't gossip or use profanity. The New Testament says those things. So I'm not saying go for whatever you want. What I am saying is where we have messed up It is really and truly, quote, that never happened. Wow. That's pretty powerful. And it will heal you and set me free when we realize it's through the blood of Jesus Christ. I want to talk to you for a moment about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the new covenant. Did you know that for us as believers, there is no unpardonable sin? That the blood of Jesus has cleansed us from all unrighteousness. Not most, not some unrighteousness, not even 99% of unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. All trespasses in the book of Ephesians. Yet so often, sometimes we might see the Father as someone who loves us. And we might see Jesus as the one who's approachable. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, (laughs) don't mess up. It's interesting when it comes to, by the way, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. This is just something I want to think about for a moment. I'm not even saying I have the answers to this. But it is interesting that Jesus does speak of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of Matthew, which obviously then makes it valid, of course. He's the greatest teacher who has ever lived. What's also interesting to me is that nowhere else in the New Testament is there ever any mention of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? We are told to receive the Holy Spirit. We're told to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. We're told to be reconciled to God. We're told to put away sin. We're told all of those things, but never is there another mention of the term blasphemy of the Holy Spirit after the time of Jesus. I'm not making a definitive statement there, but what I am saying is that this reinforces to you and I that the Holy Spirit abides with us forever. Jesus doesn't say to his disciples, praise him. He did not say, the Holy Spirit will abide with you until you blow it. Nope. In the old covenant, the Holy Spirit would visit David. Jephthah, but he would come and go, but he is with us forever in the new covenant for they were under the blood of bulls and goats, and we are under the blood of Jesus. We have the spirit in us. That is how clean and holy we are. Even the prophets and the kings and priests of those times only had the spirit on them But he is in us. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will be in you. So he breathed on his disciples. And the same word in the Greek is in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint. Oh, you know what? My brain just froze. I can't remember what it's called. It's called the Septuagint or not. I am so sorry. And you're probably thinking, well, I'm going to take that Any consideration for everything you say this hour, Pete? Your brain is frozen. Yeah, that's a good idea. Pray about it, what I say. Talk to God about it, what I say. Study over it, what I say. I think that's good. But the same word in the Greek was used when Jesus breathed on Adam as when, I'm sorry, when God breathed on Adam as when Jesus breathed on his disciples. Well, Pete, okay, I understand what you're saying, that the Holy Spirit is in us. That, So all the time that those Old Testament uh, prophets and kings, they might have had the Holy Spirit on them, but not in them. And then Jesus breathed on his disciples so the Holy Spirit could be in them. But the New Testament has a lot to say, Pete, about not grieving the Holy Spirit. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Not neglecting the Holy Spirit. When Paul mentions do not grieve the Holy Spirit in Ephesians, he's connecting it to the previous thought as he always does. What was that? Gracious speech. He used words of grace. I'm going to look it up right now, in fact. Ephesians chapter 5. Look at what the connection is, the context is to Paul's words when he says, grieve not the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 5, he says, in verse 15, Look carefully how you walk. Do not be unwise as, wise, but as wise, making the best use of time. Um, and then he goes on to talk about not being drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Well, he's correct, of course. He's right, of course. But the verse before any of that that I just read is this. Are you ready? Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. Not to mention the entire book of Ephesians, chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, talking about the pure grace of God. So, He's connecting, not grieving the Holy Spirit, with all of those things I'm suggesting to you. Those things that have to do with grace, those things that have to do with being justified, those things that have to do with being saved by Jesus Christ. He then connects with do not grieve the Holy Spirit. I am suggesting I like how David prayed, Do not take thy Holy Spirit from me after he had sinned. Because he did not pray, Do not take thy kingdom from me, but your spirit. That's what mattered to him even more than the kingdom. And the beauty of that is this we love that prayer. We repeat that prayer. We read that prayer. We sing that prayer. We should. It's Psalms. Beautiful. But God will not take his Holy Spirit from us. In many ways, we may pray. And it's right. I mean, I love reading and praying the Psalms because they get to the heart of the issue. They help me um, take inventory of where I'm at emotionally and giving it to God and where I'm at spiritually and letting him do his work in me. So it's beautiful. But In many ways, we might pray something like, God, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me, right? And he says, I'm here. (laughs) God, don't forsake me. I'm standing here, he says. Oh God, oh God, please do not abandon me as we read the Psalms, as we should. But in, in, in some ways, he's saying, I'm not going anywhere. Praise the Lord, that we can read the Psalms, we can read the Old Testament, we can read the prophets, be blessed by it, learn from it, grow in it, and yet it doesn't apply to us in the way that it applied to them because they were under the old covenant and we are in the new. Praise to Jesus.
2: Can redeem us. There's no right nor magic.
0: Satan, as you already know, especially if you're tuned in to rule grace, (laughs) is the master of mixture. By that, I mean he loves to mix law and grace. If he can't, if he can't censure, if he can't remove grace completely from your mindset, he wants to mix it up with the law. I mean, how often, here, here's a good thought for you on this super Tuesday, or maybe it's not a good thought. I think it is, but here's a thought for you. How often do we hear from the church, from Christians, from religion, God is judging America or America must be judged. And that's correct. By the way, I'm going to say America should be judged. So should you, so should I, so should Brazil, so should Singapore, so should Saudi Arabia. (laughs) I'm glad God doesn't judge us through Jesus Christ like we deserve. But you often hear, God is judging America or God will judge America, right? Remember that Billy Graham little incident? But although that's absolutely true, I'm not going to deny that for a moment. Guess who would agree with that? God is judging America. Some guy, maybe, I don't know, seven, eight years ago named Osama (laughs) bin Laden sending maybe 15 years ago, some jets into the world trade centers because God is judging America. So I think there's something wrong in our thinking when we're on the same page as Osama. (laughs) Now, get this. let, Let me lighten it up a bit. I mean, not just lighten it up, but I mean, bring in the light. If Abraham, when he was negotiating with the angels there over Sodom and Gomorrah, would have gone all the way down to one, if there's just one righteous person living in those cities, God spare them. God would have. Abraham thought he was going down as far as he could. He thought he was being um, incredibly gracious. He thought he was being provocative. He thought he was being cutting edge by saying if there are 10 people in the city. And God said, I will spare it. If he would have said one, God would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah. Because that one guy would have been Lot. And even then, even though Abraham didn't say that, even then, ain't the angel comes to a Lot and says, Lot, you got to get out of here. I can't do anything until you leave. So let me ask you, I love asking you this question. Are there 10 righteous people in America? How about in the Rogue Valley? How about in Rouge? Are there even 10 people in Rouge? Are there 10 righteous people? Well, we are righteous now by nothing we have done. Remember what Billy Graham said? If God doesn't judge America, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. Well, I'm one righteous person, God. Spare it for me. Spare it for my sake. You're righteous, Pete. Some would say, yeah, absolutely. Nothing that I have done, I am righteous through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So God, spare America on this Super Tuesday. Might I even say if God, here's a thought. I'm kind of being thought provocative. I think it's because it's political today. I'm not sure. But if God judges America, Would he not, if God judged America just in a, as a whole, I'm just thinking out loud, maybe that's the problem when my brain is in the condition it is. But if God judges America, as Billy Graham said, he owes an apology to Sodom and Gomorrah. Would God owe an apology to Jesus Christ? Because Jesus was punished. For our sins. As 2 Corinthians says, all things have passed away into this new creation. Judgment, wrath, condemnation is past. And then he says, Paul does in 2 Corinthians, not counting their sins against them. You know what he's talking about? I'll explain it right after this.
2: Don't have a job Don't pay your bills Won't buy you a home In Beverly
0: if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Listen to this guys. If anyone's even listening, listen to this. I know you're listening. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Okay. You heard that, that Christ has reconciled us and also has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, listen to this. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. Wow! Paul says he And now you and I have this message and ministry of reconciliation for in Christ, God reconciled the world to himself by not counting their sins against them. Righteously, all of his anger was fulfilled on the cross. So now he unleashes love and grace to us today. He's not dealing with nations based on their sins But based on the cross, it's not if God judges America, he needs to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. But what I just read is if God judges America, he needs to apologize to Jesus Christ because he was punished for our sins. Welcome to the embassy of heaven. (laughs) Be reconciled to God. His arms are waiting to embrace you. Come home to his unconditional love. A love that will love you into wholeness. Thank you for tuning in. I had a good time today. I hope you did too. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his grace to fall upon you in Jesus' name. This is PJ. You can download this or any other Rogue Grace on your ipod or your phone or your computer through apple on our podcasts you're more than welcome to or not god bless you